Are we on? Are we on? Let's press play. Click. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, this is uh, Eugene Fadden here on uh, our typical average everyday uh, amateur hour and a half. Um, we really had to overcome some technical difficulties that were not my fault for once. Um, and there's also a fly in this room that I'm in, but that's okay. Um, today, I'm speaking to, speaking to Nicole Dempsey, who is amazing. Um, she is the Senko at Dixon Trinity Academy. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. All right, boys. Boom. Yes. Ah, Nic- Nicole has found a way in as well. I can see that. Nicole, if you press the dial in button or something. I'm not quite sure what it is. You can join in. Um, so, yes, today we're speaking to Nicole Dempsey, who is like the Super Senko at Dixon's Trinity Academy, which is a, well, it was a free school, I think, uh, up north somewhere. He said, living in Cornwall. Everything's up north. Um, uh, I've seen Nicole speak, and actually she is very good at sacrificing, skewering some of the kind of like, like sacred cows of uh, SEN, um, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Hopefully no one can hear that fly, which is buzzing around. So Nicole, if you like, press dial in now or speak. Can I invite you to speak? Can I press a button and do that? Invite a speaker. You send your invite. You send me a message as well. I can't see anything saying dial in. All right, Nicole, I've just sent you a thing saying invite you to speak. So you're listening. How about now? Hmm. I'm not quite sure. Okay, we will figure something out while she tries to press the button. I'll try and send it to her again. Hmm. Okay, so Dixon Trinity Academy. Dixon's Trinity Academy, he said, kind of like stalling for time, is a, well, it's academy, I guess it's now an academy chain up north, uh, and they do some incredibly interesting things with. Uh, SEN, and got some really interesting viewpoints as well. Um, partly around the idea that getting inclusion right isn't some like little tack on thing, it is in fact a it is basically your most essential thing that you do. So, no matter what, um, and I've seen Nicole speak, uh, and she talked about making our wave one as big and as inclusive as possible in order to like meet the needs of the majority of pupils without the need for anything extra. Can you say something? I can't say anything. Oh, Nicole, um, I have invited you to speak on the app. Try that, Nicole. That's with there. Who knows? See if that works. Um, so yeah, so they have, they basically got their wave one to be as all-inclusive as possible. Um, we're going to be talking as well about how sometimes in education there is a bad habit for successful schools to do really successful things and then then uh, other schools don't get the context, don't understand the context, don't really get what they've done, kind of import their idea 
of what the successful school has done and then make their school worse. So Dixon's was at the forefront of the we're not using TAs approach, um, which they could do because they were free school and they basically looked to have more teachers in the classrooms. So we had two teachers in the classroom, so you wouldn't need that kind of TA intervention. Uh, other schools I'm aware of heard that they weren't using TAs and got rid of all their TAs, which obviously is leaders not actually paying attention to what is going on at all. I'll try and send Nicole another invite. Okay, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to play the news while I try and speak to Nicole and try and get her up to speed. Right, that. Ah. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio news the guardian covers news about the downturn in the numbers of pupils choosing languages and creative arts subjects at gcse and a level the article quotes provisional figures for england which suggests the exam entries for languages such as german french and spanish have fallen at a level by as much as 17 percent gcse entries have stayed broadly the same the article goes on to contrast this with the rise in A-level entries for computing by 15% on last year and a 12% increase at GCSE. Business studies is also increasingly popular at GCSE. Data from Ofqual suggests that entries for A-level and GCSEs are on the rise, but that not all subjects are seeing the benefit. Performing arts subjects are also seeing a reduction in numbers at A-level and GCSE as are those in the area of art and design. The move to more vocational subjects has been welcomed by some, but has caused others to worry about the loss of creativity for the next generation. Schools Week reports on capital, the outsourcing company paid to run SATs, and its decision to increase workload for those it employs to mark. Technical issues have already caused a delay to marking, with some not able to access necessary training. Now teachers say the rates they are paid are also being slashed. Rate cards show how those marking some SATs papers could receive as little as 2p per segment, down from 6 pence last year. 
and whilst the overall fee this year is likely to be similar to last, the number of responses markers are expected to mark has increased by over 50%. It is feared that this could lead to rushed marking, which may then lead to errors. Some critics also predict teachers walking away, leaving a backlog of unmarked tests. The deadline to return marks to schools is in July. TES reveals the names of those appointed to the expert panel to review relationships in sex education, known as RSE, and the health education curriculum. The guidance will be published for consultation in the autumn. The five members of the panel were appointed after Education Secretary Gillian Keegan wrote to schools in March to ensure they were complying with their legal obligations to publish their RSE approach and share curriculum materials with parents. The government has been criticised for taking too long to issue guidance amid concerns schools and teachers felt left in limbo. The panel members are Professor Dame Leslie Regan, Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology and Women's Health Ambassador, Sir Hamid Patel, CEO of Star Academies, Helena Brothwell, Regional Director of School Improvement for David Ross Academies Trust, and Alistair Henderson, a barrister specialising public law, human rights and equality law. The final panel member is Isabel Trowler, Chief Social Worker for Children and Families in England. Finally, Vaping continues to make the news, with ministers stating they want schools to be part of the crackdown. The Chief Medical Officer for England, Professor Sir Chris Whitty, however, probably summed up the key messages best in an article for The Times. He said, If you smoke, vaping is much safer. If you don't smoke, don't vape. He goes on to say that companies trying to addict children for profit are behaving in a shameful way because we do not know the long-term effects of many vape ingredients. The government also announced that the issue of vaping would be added to its review of RSHE curriculum. However, some have already criticised the information provided by government so far as lacking depth and detail. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to take a look at report writing. I'll ask the burning question, can chat GPT write my school reports? Yes, I know there are other AIs out there, but this is the most well known. Before I start, just give me a yes or no in your head. Will it be able to? So, first up, I blatantly asked it, can you write school reports? And ChatGPT said, certainly, I can help you write a school report. Please provide me with the topic or subject of the report, along with any specific guidelines or requirements you have been given. Additionally, provide me with any relevant information or key points you'd like me to include in the report. Okay, then. I said, James is a history and weaker in maths than English. This generated a 961-word report. Here is the opening paragraph. In this report, we will explore James's academic strengths and areas for improvement in different subjects. James demonstrates a strong aptitude for history while he faces challenges in mathematics when compared to his proficiency in English. In conclusion, James exhibits a strong aptitude for history, showcasing a profound understanding of historical concepts and critical thinking skills. His performance in English is commendable, with excellent written and verbal communication skills. However, James faces challenges in mathematics, particularly in problem-solving and advanced mathematical reasoning. By providing him with the necessary support, encouragement and resources, we can help James strengthen his mathematical abilities and achieve a more balanced academic profile. <laughs> oh, wow. Right, so what if I get even lazier? I typed, 
write a primary school report for Tom. This produced a 477-word report covering English, math, science, social studies, personal and social development, resilience and perseverance, responsibility and organisation, finishing with an area for development being highlighted. ChatGPT doesn't half know what Tom is like. My conclusion, given enough information, it could give you a decent report. However, it would work best as a proofreader slash tidier upper. Give it a brief report and ask it to make it look more professional, or ask it to write the same report in five different ways. Letting ChatGPT give you the vocabulary will save you time. Just remember that it uses American spellings. Quite frankly, I was quite blown away by what was produced. This is definitely a time saver when you're trying to say the same thing in different ways. Do you use AI to help you with anything? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. That's it. Excellent. We are good to go. Right. And invite. I'll take your invite. So Nicole is back in. She's back in on her phone. She is down as TV. There we go. She is connected. Nicole, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Well done. We got there uh, in the end. I don't know where that username has come from, but we'll yeah, go I'm, with it. We've made yeah. it. We have made it. Well done. Was It's like no, no vowels. Okay, you, can, you can still call me Nicole. I'll work on a pronunciation for my new username. I think that works well. Okay, let's do that. So, do you want to tell everyone a little about yourself? Yeah, you did a you did a pretty good job of introducing Dixon's, which must seem very very far away. Um, I don't know if you can hear background noise where I am. I live under the flight path of Leeds Bradford Airport, so there's oh, nice. background and uh, background noise. It's aeroplanes that are very low over my garden. Um, oh, nice. So I'm Nicole Dempsey. I'm director of SEN and Safeguard for Dixon's Academies Trust. Dixon's has 16, soon to be 17 schools across Leeds, Bradford, Manchester and Liverpool, but mostly in Bradford. And we have primaries, secondaries, all through sixth form, but mostly secondaries. Um, so that's kind of a, a snapshot of what Dixon's looks like. And it is a mixture of um, new free schools and turnaround academies that were formerly something else and are now Dixon's schools. And one thing that is important to say is that the schools are all very different to each other. One of our core beliefs at Dixon's is aligned autonomy. So we align on things where we, we think that that's going to be beneficial and meaningful and worth the effort. But the schools are all very much autonomous. Uh, depending on where they are in the journey, their local community, what are their priorities at the minute. So there isn't really a Dixon's model as such, um, other than kind of the overall mission and some key facts. When I'm talking, I'm particularly talking about Dixon's Trinity Academy, as Eugene mentioned, which is a start-up preschool secondary in Bradford. Um, that I wasn't there at the very beginning. I joined when it had been open a year, but I was the first Senko and had a really, not unique because it's not the only startup preschool, but I had a really, really special opportunity to start a SEN department and provision and everything from scratch with nothing to undo, designing everything exactly as I would want it. Um, and not only that, but but having 
kind of the team of people around me that were motivated and willing to support that, which is I think maybe the factor that isn't as easy to achieve as opposed to just being a startup. And we did try something different and it did pay off really, really well. And now I'm working really hard to try and work out how we can take what we learned at Dixon's Trinity and what we're still learning at Dixon's Trinity because it's still doing really well um, and apply it in lots of different contexts. How does it work in primary? How does it work um, in schools that have got kind of a long history of, of maybe not meeting children with SENS needs very well? What do oh, we yeah. do in schools that are full of teaching assistants? Um, so it, I'm on. I'm at the beginning of a massive learning curve myself at the moment. Um, trying to trying to learn as I go along how we can how we can benefit many more children from what we had the opportunity to learn at Trinity. What? Because um, obviously you started off as like a free school and you, you had that kind of like that blank sheet mm. where you could just run with things, which is quite exciting. What's been your biggest bit of learning? about how you help other schools to be as good as your as Dixon's was is <laughs> is um is, is yeah so, sorry so i kind of learned the hard way fa fairly early on that you can kind of pick up and replicate the specific what i call artifacts of inclusion as they exist at Dixon's Trinity there's some things that Dixon's Trinity is really well known for, which is basically the double staffing, which you mentioned, having additional teachers, uh, no teaching assistants, no SEND department, but we've got Mountain Rescue, which is a pastoral department, a big multidisciplinary pastoral department. And there's other things that are unique about Dixon's Trinity as well. I wasn't the only person there that had that that really took that opportunity to innovate and do something different there's lots of things that are quite unique about dixon's trinity so everything kind of works together in a way that makes it really difficult to replicate um but something that is really powerful and i feel very confident about is the kind of underlying principles the evidence um and research that underpinned our decision making at Trinity, that absolutely is val valid for everyone. And I think for me that that kind of hits the nail on the head of what is often going wrong for our children with SEN in mainstream schools, that we we operate on the basis of a lot of habits and receive yes. wisdoms and this is what everyone does to such an extent that things feel like you have to have them when really you don't instead of looking to the evidence base and looking at what research has been done because actually there is the, there is research and evidence um that would steer us in another direction if we only engaged with it so i tried to share them kind of um the the reasons for decision making as opposed to the outcomes of our decision making because you cannot go into a school that's twice as big as dixon's trinity that stood on that site for a hundred years and close the same department no gonna help it'd be, it'd be awful but how, how would you how would you move them forward then just that kind of like that general kind of gradual nudge of like evidence says this here's our like route map yeah. or like it, it's 
it's difficult to generalise um, and also I wouldn't, there are things that happen slowly because the the cogs turn slowly in big schools and that, that, that can be an inevitability. But I would say that we we try as far as possible to move really quickly. I have I always have in the back of my mind that the you know we're waiting for the send an AP improvement plan to come to fruition. We were waiting for the Ofsted's new inspection framework, the prioritised send better at one point. We're always kind of waiting for the solutions to come down to us from above. And I, even if it does happen, even if we do see reform based on the send an AP um, improvement plan, it's not going to be any time soon. And it is always in the back of my mind that the children in our schools now don't have time to wait. Yeah. And that when we when I, I'm supporting a school, I'm trying to find what we can do that's going to be really meaningful and sustainable, um, and but also that is going to start to have impact quickly. And it's a boring answer, I'm afraid, but the the starting point should always, or I've found should always be the statutory baseline, is you send register accurate is your assess plan do review process actually delivering what it's supposed to deliver is everyone getting the provision that they're legally entitled to can you um speak for every child on that sen register why they're on there what um assessments have been done what's in place and how do you know it's working um it's not particularly glamorous but that i think that is often the nature of what works well in education it's just doing the basics properly yeah and i think there is a bad habit in education of like oh look new shiny thing um yeah. let's do this um whereas the best thing to have in front of a kid is a consistently good teacher who knows them really well and knows their subject well yeah um and i think that's sorry go on no go on no go on that's not, that's not glamorous though what are you, no, you going to say what you tend to find when you go into pretty much any school is that they'll have some paperwork there to support the children with said that they've identified it might be a pupil passport or a pen portrait or something like that and it is delivering some information to the classrooms um, but those documents and the processes that sit around them tend to be um, very flimsy that they might have a document that is technically shared with all staff but it's shared in a very passive way so maybe emailed out at best but usually on a shared drive that we're relying on teachers to access and i'm a firm believer that no one becomes a teacher to let any of the children down that the the teachers are not ignoring those documents but it's a really hard job being a teacher and trying to read all the bits of paper and assimilate all that information into your work is not easy um, with the best will in the world, probably not possible. And then quite often those documents, they'll have key information about reasonable adjustments and, and information that you might need to know about that child. But even if there are targets and strategies to meet those targets, there isn't any process for meaningful review um, to make it measurable to involve all stakeholders. So we have these documents. I don't think I've ever, uh, very rarely, it has happened once or twice, been into a school where they don't have something in place 
share information about children that are on the SEND register. But quite often that process is almost um, uh, superficial in mm. that it doesn't really move children forward. It doesn't really. So as boring as it is, the starting point is to look at that. Does it carry a meaningful assess, plan, do, review process? Are you making time to actually sit down with teachers and review what is written on those documents? Are the things that are written on those documents things that can actually be done by a teacher in the classroom? I've seen so many that say things like pre-teach vocabulary. Well, in a high school, if you're pre-teaching vocabulary, if a child has got that on for every lesson they go to, when when are they going to receive that? Are the teachers coming in at five o'clock in the morning? Yeah. It's just not something that's possible. And making sure it you know it might not be rocket science but that there's some that the things that are written on them are things that the teacher can actually do another really common one is use a laptop well the kids either bringing a laptop or they aren't the teacher is probably not going to have a stash of them in the classroom to give out so trying to make that process the assess plan do review process really real through that document but targets that the child is actually needing to work on, strategies that teachers can actually deliver in the classroom, and then meaningful review where you sit down face to face and you review those documents, have the conversations. And the, the usual, a really typical response is that we don't have time for that. That's going to be really difficult to implement. But you, it's not optional. It's a statutory yeah. process. And when you've got children that have got un needs underlying that they need to move forward on in order for them to access their education, if they're still working on turn taking, if they're working on um, attention, being able to sit and get on with some work for a period of time, their independence, then the best way to do it is for it to be the priority for the teacher in every single lesson they go to every day, practiced in different environments. And if you pen portrait or profile or whatever's in place isn't making that happen, then it's not really worth the paper that it's written on. So boring as it is, making but, sure that that's up and running and working well is always the starting point. But I like boring because boring is safe and boring is like a lot of the things you need to do are the boring things because it's just that consistency is the most important thing. Um, you know, about getting consistency in any school is your eternal, eternal problem. Um, what I did like about, because I, I saw you at a talk for the Cornwall Association of Secondary Heads, and I loved your um, lip parts you had. Um, and I think the best one was the uh, the one of the school with the disabled access around the side. Yeah. And that was like quite powerful. Do you want to talk about that? And we can... I'll yeah. that a little bit because that, that then feeds into what's talking about the whole kind of wave one, wave two approach. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that um, when I say there's values and and ideas that underpinned our decision making, um, a lot of that is really wrapped up in ableism, which isn't a school level issue. It's a society level issue that a lot of what we put in place for our SEND learners in school is very visible mm. and um, visible things um, 
often segregatory, so having a SEM department, inclusion classrooms, um, separate areas for children to go to, separate processes, the, the, it, the teaching assistants, the separate work, it's, it's segregatory, but it's also very visible um, and often has features that we wouldn't we wouldn't use for non-send children. So if we've got uh, children coming out of a particular subject to do additional maths with a non-teacher, a, a teaching assistant or a learning support assistant, when we wouldn't dream of bringing children out of lessons or putting or them doing catch-up work with non-specialists, non-qualified staff, if they're not sent, that's not what that that's not how we'd respond. And if we've got children in um, that higher attaining children that are falling behind in maths, they wouldn't come out of geography to go sit and do maths with a teaching assistant. They would get more time with the teacher. Is the most likely scenario. So we have this um, habit of treating our send learners differently and justifying it to ourselves. Um, when it is really, really illogical, or to me at least, it's really illogical. And one of the things that's kind of plagued me for the whole time of being a teacher and before I went into teaching is why, <laughs> why do we do this? And I think one of the reasons is because part of ableism, which is really entrenched and, and really drilled into us, drip fed to us our entire lives, is that we like to be seen to be doing something nice for people that we perceive as vulnerable. Mm. Your classroom teaching is to a standard where it meets the needs of everyone in the class, including those with SEN, and they don't need to have someone sat with them and they're not being pulled out to go sit in a separate space and, and, and have additional this, that and the other. Then it kind of looks like you're not doing anything. Mm. And we like to look like we, we're doing something. And this... The, the clip out, the picture that you're referring to, it's really more about the issue of ableism at societal level that with a new build, we would it, we would probably have a positive response if we saw that there were a disabled access sign with an arrow pointing around to the side of the building saying ramp access at the side or disabled access at the side. We probably go, oh, good. They've remembered. They've remembered that some people can't get up the steps. When actually there is no other group within society, it would be acceptable to have a side door for. If we saw a little silhouette of a, a um, the female toilet sign kind of silhouette with a little arrow saying women's door at the side, or there were an old people's door around the side, we'd have a really strong. I think we'd have a really strong negative response. Hopefully. Uh, but we don't for disabled. We're like, oh, good. <laughs> They've yeah. remembered. When actually true inclusion, real access is everyone being able to come in through the front door, it's always easier to describe with the physical environment, uh, harder to apply to kind of intangible concepts, but it is the same thing. But you, If you've got children that are struggling in maths, whether they've got identified scent or not, Sending them somewhere else to do something else with someone else is not as good as just making your maths department better. 
yeah. But not as visible either. No, but is that, yeah. I mean, you, when I listen to you talk, you give me lots to think about in terms of like, so much to do for SEN is that kind of, is that kind of like that, that almost like that noise, that kind of like we're doing SEN things. Whereas the best thing is actually that consistent teaching that addresses the majority of needs all the time, yeah. um, which is very tricky to do because people get tired. Yeah, um, and I'm absolutely not suggesting that any of this is easy. And I would say that the model that we've got up and running at Dixon's Trinity is harder than what schools typically do. There's much hmm. more expectation on, on teachers um, and much less opportunity to opt out of dealing with your responsibilities. And it is really kind of a constant grind to keep everything up to date and meaningful and have those meetings and deliver the CPD that supports it. It's, it's certainly not easier, but it does pay off. It does get better outcomes. One of the things that people often struggle with what schools often struggle with with learners with SEND is demonstrating progress if they're not making progress in their academic subjects are against the usual measures. But something as simple as getting that assess plan do review paperwork right, whether it's an IEP or a pen portrait or whatever, because that is your opportunity to demonstrate progress against the things that that child is actually working on that are then going to have the knock-on effect, hopefully, in the classroom in enabling them to access the learning. But it is just a missed opportunity. Just um, half the schools in the country, I think, having pen portraits that say things like, I've got a dog called Chip and I'd like to be an astronaut when I grow up. And it's like, well, that's nice, but I'm trying to teach geography. This is yeah. useful information to me. I can't, I can't do anything with this. And you mentioned earlier about relationships and it does often come back to relationships because when you give teachers a piece of paper that has that kind of information on delivering some weird subliminal message about that child being somehow difficult to get to know and actually if they want to know what they want to be when they get older they think to get to know them like they would any child we don't give that information out about the other children we just get to know them and that is much more useful i think oh no definitely uh, it's just, yeah, I do find the world of SEN, I think, and I actually really hate the term SEN. I don't um, like the word special. No, it's, I mean, I, I do, I think a lot of like, a lot of the language around SEN or whatever is quite like, it's quite, uh, it's childish. It's kind of like that infantizing in many ways, like special, you know, and it's just, there's so much infantilization in that term and all the kind of lots of terms around it, especially when you come to your port pen portraits, where it's like, I want to be an astronaut. You know, it's like kind of like, and also the SEN just, it's such a vague, vague term. It doesn't accurately say what the underlying issue is and then what needs to be done to support that, that individual. I think that's another one of these kind of important concepts. And because, ITT and early careers, where there is a focus on SEN, it's an up to me an old fashioned focus on SEN. It's not particularly moving thinking forward. The NPQs are the same. They often don't cover SEN in a way that I think would be particularly useful. Even the National Senko Award doesn't really tell you the things that you would need to know to really move learners no. 
forward in your school. So we've got this huge deficit of knowledge um, amongst our teaching staff that they're really operating on minimal information and a lot of what prevails in education around SEN and inclusion is misconception one of which is that we have a group of children called special needs children if you read the code of practice it doesn't actually say that it's children on your SEN register are children that receive special educational provision mm. which is provision that's additional and different uh, your already differentiated and personalised main offer curriculum and experience. So this group of children are not a type of child that needs something different. They're part of your main school body that are receiving additional and different in some way. Otherwise, the the they wouldn't be getting what they need out of their education. So I'm back to the boring statutory baseline that the Quite often people are constructing their SEN registers around who's got a diagnosis or around who um, has something that is um, atypical in the context of their of their school, when actually the SEN register should be a list of children who receive special educational provision. Mm. Um, anything that's additional and different to what you what you typically do. And because we've got this misconception where it's become con kind of conflated with diagnosis or it, it's become almost like we're talking about a type of child, um, then we get this homogenous group of children called SEN that just don't exist. It's not a type of child. There's so much diversity within um, the concept of SEN, even to children that have got an EHCP and the same diagnosis are not going to be anything like each other and the most frustrating thing is that that is the wording of the code of practice and we are getting um proper research that is demonstrating that this has become problematic so i don't know if you're familiar with the epi education policy institute's report i think two years ago oh no um where they looked at factors contributing to um whether a child was considered sen or not and quite an extensive piece of research and it's really in, it's a really interesting read if you ever get chance but they found that that label has more to do with factors in the school and local authority particularly whatever their history of sen and inclusion looks like than anything to do with the child so you can be sent in one school and not in another, yeah. one local authority and not in another, because it is really more to do with whether that school or local authority has a history of labelling children as sent um, or not than anything to do with the child themselves. And if you go back to that code of practice definition, that it's not a type of child, but children that receive provision that's additional and different um, to the main offer, we're really talking about the extent, scope and quality of a school's main offer as to whether they're going to have children defined as SEN or not. That's a really good point. Is it the Identifying Pupils with Special Education Leads and Disabilities, March 2021? Yep, that sounds right. That sounds I, have, right. I have found it. Excellent. Yeah. I'll um, add it to my to-be-read list. I've got a massive to-be-read list. 
um, which I haven't hacked through. Although I am hacking through culturally responsive teaching, um, which you spoke about as well. Oh yeah, a lot of what we were doing ten years ago when I first were the Senko at Trinity were uh, were based on kind of my own vision and values around inclusion and i learned a, a lot i previously worked at mencap and the previous school that i'd worked at had kind of formed my views but a lot of what we were doing were just based on let's try this this isn't working so let's do something different and it's quite often been the case that research and evidence has appeared after then mm. we can say, oh, this supports what we were doing, or this makes sense in light of what we were doing. One of them is the EPI report. We were we had mountain rescue and double staffing and had kind of discarded the SEN label to the extent that we can um, in 2013, 2014. And that EPI report came out just a couple of years ago. But it's like, oh yeah, this is what we were, <laughs> this is what we meant. The same with the culturally responsive teaching and the brain, which is it's just for me so beautifully written kind of explaining the importance of relationships and getting to know children as individuals and being aware that i mean the book's about race and ethnicity really but knowing your children as individuals and being being conscious that they're all different to each other and we can't have this cookie cutter approach we've got to have this relational approach it was like a gift when yeah. i read that book I'm like oh thank goodness someone this makes so much sense yeah yeah i think yeah i think relationships is the absolute bedrock of all good teaching um and people think relationships means like like soft cuddly stuff it's like no it's just knowing the kids knowing what they need at that time and knowing what they don't know that you need to, you know, uh, fill them up with. It's that, you know, that filling a pail that you've set on fire or whatever the metaphor is. Um, how did you get into the wild and wacky world of SEN? So I can track my, my, how I've kind of got to this point that I'm at now really clearly um, going back to factors before i was born yeah I've got, I've got a similar thing but yeah it sounds like i feel like it sounds like a lie but the um my mum when she was a child she was raised in a household where her uncle also lived with them and he was um i think probably now would probably have an autism diagnosis um, but they didn't have, I'm not going to say the kind of words that they used to describe him at the time, but my, they'd, they'd um, encouraged institutionalisation and my great-grandma had refused. And then when she passed away, my grandma took him in, he was called Billy. Um, so Uncle Billy lived with my mum growing up and were just a, a, a part of her normal life, didn't think anything of it. Um, and then once me and my siblings were all at school my mum got a job in a special school as a work like finance an admin role um but she'd been hugely influenced by her upbringing and being raised alongside her uncle billy who were a really important person in her life 
then when she worked in special school, if there were training days or if there were school fairs, anything like that going on, me and my sisters would be there. Um, and she'd just kind of throw us into one of the classrooms if as like a free babysitting service, I suppose. <laughs> We'd be hanging out with um, the children in that special school and that just became a part of our normal life. Um, from me being 13, I was volunteering at summer schemes and residential short breaks and things like that. So it's, it's always been part of my life. After, uh, Whilst I was at uni, I got a job with Mencap Housing and Support. Mencap are really kind of forward thinking when it comes to understanding disability and what the carer role is, and that if someone needs a carer, that is the same as if you decide if you in your life you need a cleaner or a gardener, and that you you are an employee of that person, and no matter what their level of ability or disability is or is perceived to be you remember that you work for them mm. so they they are the they're the employer and they're the controlling factor in the relationship that were really really influential and lots of things that i learned at mencap and i did initially i was a teaching assistant in a special school for a couple of years before i decided to go into teaching and by this point i had a really clear a really kind of clear it's not quite accurate I don't think but a really clear understanding at the time that the children identified as SEN that were in special schools were typically getting a really good deal and children not identified as SEN in mainstream were getting a pretty good deal but it was the children identified as SEN in mainstream schools that were just getting the worst deal of all of the children and I just wanted to I, I just wanted to have play my part in doing something about that. So I only became a teacher because I wanted to be a senko, and I only became a senko because I wanted to disrupt. I think I'm doing. I'm doing okay. I've done a little bit of disrupting. Just a bit. No, yeah. that's yeah. I think that's all we can. You know, all we can do is good senkos. Is just because the system is so incredibly creaky. Um, it's just part of doing good. Is just kind of like making it making the system a bit more a bit more disruptive you know um and i could talk about ehcps till the cows come home and how much i think that's that's nowhere near where it should be um for lots of different reasons um but especially i think scn is just you know i've seen the green paper i've seen you know all the kind of the government ideas and it's just scn seems to be from a societal point of view or from government at least like not even a bolt on to things no it's an entirely separate conversation but then that that's part of that same thing one of the things that uh, uh, societal ableism this is one of my steep learning curves since i've started kind of um trying to apply what we learn in other settings that it it can feel very uncaring that people are so entrenched in this very segregatory approach that doesn't get good outcomes but we do it year after year after year anyway when if any other kind of group within our schools or department within our schools were getting such appalling outcomes 
we would absolutely take ownership and try to do something about it. But year after year, our SEN learners are let down and we just do the same thing next year or we lean even further into the same systems that uh, you, don't, you only have to scratch the surface a little bit and they start to unravel and not make sense. Of course, the children with the lowest starting points and the most vulnerability need the most qualified, most experienced staff, not the least qualified, least experienced staff. But we have this kind of perpetuating and it can feel really uncaring. But I firmly believe that no one becomes a teacher because they want to let any of the children down. But we have it kind of built into us from like bombarded from every angle from the day we're born that the way we we meet ability diversity or or what perceived ability disability diversity is through segregation so even a trip to the supermarket there's going to be highly visible disabled parking spaces a disabled toilet probably a ramp at the side somewhere and this is kind of it's it's how not taught as in taught directly but constantly drip, drip fed into our psyche that this is what you do so then of course the people that are writing the policies designing the paperwork that is their understanding of how we support people that are perceived are, are, are perceive themselves to be disabled or have some um, limitation is by creating this separate space or separate option for them because the alternative is much harder but it's to look at the things that are working for us and be willing to change them yeah uh, that's 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 the crux that's the absolute core of it it's about you know you know able to people giving up that privilege yeah that they don't even recognize they have because it's you know it's, it's the air they breathe but it's, you know, it's, it's the irony of it is i think quite often when we when we do make those changes when we make the kind of bigger changes it it does benefit everyone and you've mentioned already about it's about being willing to expand and change the main of what you do so it works more for more children that um constantly expanding and improving universal offer um once you've got that to a point where it feels tangible where your teachers are able to keep more children in the classroom and learning you can demonstrate progress for your children identified as sen that you've got the relationships that are needed to make that happen you've got the kind of holistic multidisciplinary approach to meeting children all children's needs that encompasses elements of safeguarding behavior and and additional additionality in terms of the learning needs once you've got all that no one doesn't benefit it, yeah. the, the skills of the teacher the systems that are in place and not just benefit benefiting the children with sen everyone is benefiting from having that um that approach including the staff you, you've got more job satisfaction you you're meeting the needs of more children that feels good you've got to have stronger relationships that's better for the staff as well you've got to be a more skilled practitioner have more kind of tools in the toolkit to be able to get through a lesson this is a recognized thing it's called curb drop curb effect drop that curb we, effect yeah that we drop we 
like we've dropped the curb to make something wheelchair accessible but that's also better for people with prams small children someone that's walking on crutches older people when you cross the road we all go to the drop curb it's not even yeah. though it's a disabled access thing everyone benefits from it the same with putting a ramp on a building you can put a ramp on up, up to a side door and put a wheelchair silhouette sign on it and say yep we're disabled access we've met the equality act there are far many more people that are going to benefit from that ramp than um the people that are depicted by the wheelchair the, that ubiquitous wheelchair silhouette symbol mm. um, that we all you know having what at trinity we call the mountain rescue approach and the all the factors that enable us to work in the way we do everyone benefits everyone benefits from that i think as yeah i think it's really important as a senko to and i've seen schools where senko's like again we talk about it kind of like almost like in a hut away from the main building the SEN department you know the senko should be like really have a massive input into the actual like the teacher learning diet of all the kids in the school, you know, because then you're looking at that, that that really high quality universal offer, you know, which basically is the drop, the drop, the drop curve effect, the cut curve effect, you know, I like that phrase though. Yeah, I can't take any credit for it. It's something, it's something that would come up if you Google it. Yeah, I've, I've looked it up. It looks, I think, I think it's come from Stanford. Oh. Um, according to Bing, because other like other uh other search engines are available yep um yes. well i think that in terms of the same i think another thing that probably needs really carefully looking at is the senko role and i am a senko although my role has changed and i, I have other elements that i'm responsible for because i I'm, i oversee safeguarding as well my heart's a senko and I'm only in teaching at all because I want it to be a senko. But the, I, I think the way the role has evolved is not only not viable, it's not a possible task for one person to undertake. Yeah. I think it might be actively harmful because as long as there is a person whose job it is to deal with the children with sen, that is delivering some message to the staff, to the families and the community, the children, that that is, again, the way to do things. If you want everyone to be responsible for SEN, you need to, I think you probably need to not have a SEN course and make everyone be responsible for SEN. Don't do that though. Yeah, because that's not allowed. You're not allowed to have that. That's, that's like, against. off to be really unhappy with you if you do that. But um, I'm the at Trinity, but because we had the mountain rescue approach, it were really collaborative leadership between the leaders of SEN, safeguarding and behaviour run and, and other areas of pastoral, running that department together. Um, and that I think is one of the one of the, one of the things that were most powerful because not only were we able to run it as a multidisciplinary team and meet the needs of children you know they're on the same register but they're also very challenging behaviorally they're also very vulnerable from a safeguarding perspective so who's responsible for those children well it doesn't matter everything comes out of mountain rescue yeah. 
but aside from from that a kind of um not unexpected side effect is you learn about other people's roles so i never came behavior were never particularly a, an area of interest for me apart from the obvious and very complex overlap with sen and inclusion but by working collaboratively with the vice principal for behavior i've really kind of developed my own understanding of behavior management and the and the systems that need to be in place to be able to get through the school day um, and I think vice versa, I hope that they'd say the same about me, that from having the Senko not in their own office, but initially shared office. Office and then the shared senior leadership office, that I think the other middle and senior leaders developed an understanding of SEN and inclusion and the Senko role that typically in a school, there isn't that wider understanding of, of those things. So it makes it easier to have that shared responsibility when people have any idea what the SENCO is doing day to day. So you do have to have one, it's statutory. I do think there's probably an ongoing role for SENCOs because there's so much bureaucracy. Oh God, yeah. Single point of contact for parents. And I tell the SENCOs at my own trust that the SENCO is not responsible for SEN, they're responsible for making everyone else responsible for SEN. Um, I'm going to steal that. Yeah, steal it. I'm um, that. The trying to get to a point where you're a the senko is yet an advocate, yet a single point of contact that's pushing that knowledge without being or being perceived to be the person that is responsible for sen is really hard. And then when um, you think that senko recruitment and succession is so difficult and that the role is thankless and they often go off sick and it's it's um because how can one person be responsible for 12 14 percent in some of our schools it's 20 percent yeah for population yeah it's 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 yeah i mean i think there's that kind of like that 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 really unhelpful kind of like archetype of like the superhero teacher does everything there's an equally unhelpful archetype of the, the, the Senko who's like, is responsible for all SEN issues in the school. Yeah. And it's and then you've got teachers coming to you, you've got parents coming to you, you've got kids coming to you. And then you've got this, you've got the bureaucracy coming to you as well. And that's just, yeah, that's just how Senkos get burnt out. Especially, yeah. especially like, you know, smaller primary schools where like the Senko may also be the head teacher and the yeah. DSL. And so more and more often finding Senkos part-time across multiple schools so they're yeah. part-time but they're, they're in two different or even three different schools and again this is another thing where the research followed because Bath Spa University did a, a, an, a, an ongoing and extensive piece of research about the Senko role and found all of these same things that it needs to be more collaborative there's low understanding of what they do the they spend all day firefighting and then when are they supposed to do all this paperwork all confirmed in that bath spy university report which again like all of these pieces of research really really interesting read but really frustrating and, and depressing yes i'm going to go on up now bath spy university senko um senko workload, workload. 
Yeah, it was Sinco workload. There's been a few updates to it because being a Sinco through the pandemic was. Oh my God, that was even more difficult. Yeah. Um, we had the 2021 National Senko Workload Survey. Yeah. Time to review, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know any Senko who's not... It's substantial. Yeah. Overworked. But again, I think it's nature, it's nature's a beast because it is that... And what we basically talked about today is that kind of like that whole kind of societal issue with what SCN means and what should be done. And I keep coming back to my swimming metaphor I have because I'm a really bad swimmer. I can swim, but I displace loads of water. So I, I'm going to kind of like, I'm swimming and like water's gone everywhere and I'm clearly working really hard, but I'm not moving forward very fast. And my partner is an amazing swimmer and she swims and there's no water disturbance at all. And she's just, just, just nice and fluid and flowy. And it, look, and it looks like I'm working far harder than her. And I am working far harder than her but she's lapping me in a pool quite happily. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, what was I doing? And that's kind of visible kind of like SEN thing of like, if you're getting it really right, it looks like you're not getting it right at all. And if you get yeah. it really wrong, it looks like you're really caring. It was interesting because I was speaking to a parent whose children had left Trinity um, one only a year before and another a couple of years before that so she'd had a, a couple of children go right through from year seven and then get the GCSEs and leave in year 11 and we were just chatting and now we're talking because Dixon's Trinity has got a very high incidence of SEND more than 20% on the SEN register um four percent just over four percent ehcp which is twice national average so we've we've got lots and lots of send learners in our school and a huge diversity of of needs and um this parent said oh well i was surprised because i asked if the i asked my children if there were any sen children at dixon's trinity they said no they said no we've got children in wheelchairs we've got children with visual impairments these are very visible but just, I think, I hope, from because of the way we operated, um, they didn't know. <laughs> the other children didn't know. That's kind of what I was trying to do, I think. Um, but it comes down to what you've said. We were, um, a lot of what we do that has been really successful, you just can't see it. Yeah. It, it's, not, it's not visible. There were a point um, fairly early on when I were a Senko, I were a Senko at another school prior to this, and um, where it almost felt like your department, for a Senko, your department and your team were like your currency. So we'd go to Senko network meetings and people would, Senkos would be saying, well, I've got 15 teaching assistants and they're giving me another room. And then someone else would say, well, I'm up to 17, but I've said I need some more. And we've got a, an entire block now for SEN. And you're thinking, oh, God, this is literally the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> what needs to happen. And yeah, and I think it's, it is that mindset. Um, but I think it's really, because we're actually out of time. I think a really nice image to leave us with, not the Senko's kind of empire building separately somewhere in a school, but the idea that, you know, these kids went to a school and they were like, oh, there's no SEN kids here because inclusion was like so well done. Yeah. And I think 
definitely a positive but a little bit unnerving when she said it <laughs> but yeah definitely a positive but i think but i think for kids you know when you do get it right when things are going right kids kids are so accepting and they don't go you know they don't they don't have this kind of like you know, those like calcified adult viewpoints of like that child's in a wheelchair they've got scn needs they just like that's for mate billy it's just you know and one of the most common questions I get asked when people are trying to get the head round what it is we've done or kind of how we've got away with it seems is often the kind of rhetoric around the questioning. One of the things I said is that do the other children are the other children kind of upset or angry that some children are they've got children in the classroom that are getting away with stuff are being treated differently because if you've got lots of S <laughs> um, SLD and autistic children in your classrooms not being taken out well you're not allowed to shout out but sometimes them children will shout out and we're certainly not going to punish them for something that is part of their additional need so how do the other children cope with seeing children get let off the hook and we always have a standard response that we say that that child that student's getting what they need and i promise you when you need something you'll get what you need and that we'll make sure that everyone gets the things that they need when they need it um but actually it just never happens the children don't ask us they don't ask why other children seem to get special treatment that is just not how they perceive it they can they're, they're not daft they can see what's happening yeah i think you know i do think i look back at like my sister is like significantly autistic and I look at all the battles my mum had you know, back in the 80s in London to get her the kind of support that she needed. And things are, much as we've spent like an hour moaning about how things are, but things are so much better than they used to be. And I do feel that we are on that kind of like that hopeful upward trajectory. Um, we're not there yet. It's just a really... Um long substantial journey absolutely things are better and even over the last few years this we've already talked about quite a few different pieces of research and, and publications that have come out people do know about these and it might be um taking a while to snowball but more and more people are becoming more and more informed i think the npqs now are trying really hard to, to to pick up a more meaningful approach to send the same with Ofsted. I've been very I've been very vocal about what I think Ofsted's shortcomings are. When the new inspection framework came out, it's what a little step in the right direction, but certainly didn't feel feel like enough. But I think over the last few years, particularly post pandemic, they have got better. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. what looking for and coming down hard on schools that are getting it wrong so it's we we the the progress is there it's just really really slow and i think the underlying reason is it's difficult to undo this kind of ingrained i'm i'm a good person because i look after people less fortunate than myself mm. and i need to be seen to be doing that that i, I think kind of un, underlies everything that we do yeah but slowly but surely we are getting there um, yeah you know and eventually eventually it'll wear down one way or the other um 
But yeah, no, I'm really appreciated. Um, I did appreciate that talk you gave months ago now that I went to. Yeah, it feels like um, it was Yeah, that was like, oh God, it was a really nice day and it was like in a golf course and the food was really nice. It was a well. really nice day, but I'd driven through a blizzard. That was it, yeah, you had, hadn't you, yeah. Coming out of Yorkshire. Yeah, to come all the way down to us and it's just like sunlight and I was like, oh, it's so hot yep. down here. Yeah. yeah. Ah, well, this is it. This is what Cornwall's got. We've got, mm -hmm. got sun and we've got sewers on our beaches, but you know, um, and we are uh, in the bottom second centile for funding for SEN, mm. I've learned the other day, which is, yeah, which is irritating. But anyway, but I have really appreciated um, you giving me the time to come on this random radio show today um, and just talk about SEN, which is, I think, you know, definitely my passion i think it's your passion from what you said oh, yeah yeah definitely. yeah well look thanks so much i will um probably i need to go to my partner right now she's not feeling very well um <laughs> and get my kids off in their like grandparents house and do all those things and at some point i'll play with this but thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you thank you i'm just going to press the close button now and then the music will play hopefully is it playing no of course not Oh, there it is. Excellent. You've we been got that. listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.